South African scientist Lyle Watson said, If the brain were so simple we could understand it, we would be so simple we couldn't. The human brain has puzzled philosophers for centuries, and developments in modern neuroscience have helped to unravel part of the mystery, but now new questions have arisen in turn. Are our thoughts and feelings a result of neurological processes, or are they the workings of an immaterial mind? And is consciousness available to scientific investigation, or is it a secret that we never understand? Hello, I'm Rob, and the man opposite me is Edward Fraser. You're listening to The Thirst, quenching ignorance across the globe. Excellent work, Rob. That's two out of two. Cheers, mate. I'm very excited about today's talk, actually. I hope you are as well. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this episode. Let's hope it's a good one. Um, Okay, so the question we're going to be discussing today is what sort of stuff are human beings made of? Is a human being made out of different kinds of substances? So when we look around us, we see great lumps of physical matter, chairs, tables, cars, etc., which all fly about in accordance to the physical laws described by science. We also see our arms and our legs and other fleshy things that seem to be part of the same physical world as the cars and chairs. But also we can, we can introspect, which is what philosophers call when you sort of take a look inside your head. Um, so when we introspect, we find a, a rich mental life, a mind with mental events like thoughts, feelings, desires, emotions, etc. So the question for today is, is the mental activity we find in our heads part of the same world that includes our arms and legs? Or to put it more simply uh, for you, Rob, is the mind with all its thoughts and feelings distinct to the body with all its arms and legs? Now, to put things in a modern perspective, the debate is whether or not the mind is different from the brain. Because, let's face it, if the mind's going to have anything to do with the body, it's going to be the brain. Um, and thereby, whether or not mental states like thoughts and feelings are the same thing as physical brain states like this neuron or that neuron firing. Um, so what do you think, Rob, about what's, what's your hand on heart opinion at the, start of, at the start of the show? Is the mind the brain or are they different things? Personally, I think the mind and the brain are one and the same. Believing in particles, you know, everything's made up of these particles and therefore all the interactions that happen outside your body and inside are all determined by the interactions between these particles and that would, for me, make up mind and brain. So you're entirely stripping stripping the romantic notion of something like consciousness down to particles firing in the brain. It's the way I, it's the way I am. Okay, that's, that's fine, we'll deal with that. I just wanted to get, get that out of the way at the beginning. And, <laughs> we'll, and then we'll see if I can manage to persuade you of the alternative or whether we, in fact, conclude that for once you're right. Um, <clears throat> so in the history of philosophy, responses to this question principally fall into two categories. The first is called dualism. And the second is called materialism or physicalism as it's called today. So physicalism in simple terms is the thought that there is no distinction between mind and bodies. What you just said, basically, mm -hmm. they're the same thing. Um, and dualism is the thought that, ma that the mind is distinct from the body. Um, now, there are, of course, various different positions within those sort of broad as always camps. Yeah. yeah. Um, but for the purposes of today's conversation, I'm not going to focus on the particulars in favor of keeping the discussion as inclusive as possible. It's very considerate of you, Ed. Thank you. Uh, so what are we going to talk about first, then? Um, I think we'll talk about dualism first, if that's all right with you, Rob. Mm. Looks like it's going to have to be. Um, <laughs> so dualism is an ancient tradition in philosophy, given, given credence in, in modern times by French philosopher René Descartes. Now, Descartes argued in his meditations that the mind and the body were two distinct kind of things. According to him, the mind was a non-physical thinking thing, and the brain was a physical, non-thinking thing. 
I don't want to go over his reasoning in detail today, firstly because there's no real need, and secondly because we'll be looking at the meditations in more detail next episode. Um, but just briefly, his principal argument in defence of his position goes as follows. If Descartes' mind and body were the same thing, it would not be possible to him, for him to conceive of one existing without the other. Descartes can conceive of his mind existing without his body, therefore Descartes' mind must be distinct from, uh, distinct to his body. How, so, do, how does he prove that then? Because he can never separate his mind from his body to prove this. No, he can't, but he can conceptually, is his point. You don't forget, you're not talking about today when you could obviously do sort of scientific experience back then they had nothing so all you could ever ground anything in is imagination so, so it's just a thought experiment yeah he thinks really hard about things and, <laughs> and then comes up with uh what he th the way he thinks the world works and it's quite easy now to laugh at him but i think back then that was the done thing really he made um, the best of a bad situation basically exactly um, so, so by saying he can conceive his mind existing without his body, he's not saying he can practically separate them. He simply means that it's perfectly possible for him to imagine himself existing with all his mental activity in the absence of his body. Okay, I'll give him that. So, an immediate response to his argument is why should we suppose that our thoughts have any bearing on reality whatsoever? So, before it was discovered that the morning star was the same thing as the evening star, mm -hmm. i.e. they're both Venus, it would have been perfectly possible for astronomers to conceive of one existing without the other but that doesn't mean that they're two different things because obviously they're not um of course we've sort of oversimplified things here as always <laughs> um descartes does introduce some sort of t terminology that will allow him to sidestep at least to some degree the objection we just discussed but in order to move on to the interesting part of the debate let's just assume that descartes has legitimate grounds for establishing the distinction between mind and body and, and take a look at where his reasoning takes us. Okay, so for Descartes, the mind and the body are two different things. This means that mental events like your thoughts, desires and feelings are not reducible to the chemical processes going on in your brain. Now, I'm, I'm going to assume from what you said at the start of the show that, that that's not something I'm not happy with that. With. I'm okay. not happy with that. Would you like to give some reasons why? Or are you just going to come out with that dogmatic <laughs> statement and then withdraw? Well, I've got an example of if you affect the brain then therefore it affects the mind and the example would be of Phineas Gage who is an American railroad con railroad construction foreman okay and um basically he's remembered for his improbable survival of an accident in which a large iron rod was driven through his head Crikey. it went like into his left cheek right und underneath it and then kind of shot out the top of his head Goodness me. What was he doing? <laughs> well, like I said, he's a railroad construction Don't worker. Don't play about with metal rods. Would something... advice to the children listening to this <laughs> Something to do with dynamite as well, which also isn't... When was this? Uh, you know, 1823-ish. Oh. 1820s. Goodness, I thought you were going to say it was last week or something. But um, the rod went through his head and right. destroyed much of his left frontal lobe. And um, that injury has a lot to do with effects on his personality and behaviour. Right. And um, basically, he was rushed to the nearest physician mm -hmm. and he was patched up. It was remarkable. He was completely conscious after about three minutes. He was walking about and, uh, you know, all the way to yeah, the physicians on the, on the cart. He was fine speaking to people. And I was going to say, presumably in those days, they couldn't do a there lot was, for that sort of injury. There was no, uh, no air ambulance. No, but, no, um, that sort of stuff. So he got there. Right. And um, his physician, Dr. John Martin Harlow, had this to say. He said, um, the equilibrium or balance, so to speak, between his intellectual faculties and his animal propensities seemed to have been destroyed. 
He is fitful, irreverent, indulging at times in the grossest profanity, which he was not previously accustomed to, manifesting but, uh, but little difference for his fellows, impatient of restraint or advice when it conflicts with his desires, and at times pertinaciously obstinate, yet capricious and vacillating, devising many plans of future operations, which are no sooner arranged than they are abandoned in turn for others appealing more feasible. Oh, what a mouthful. Fantastic work. <laughs> anyway, basically what I'm trying to say is that um, damage to a physical brain, why does it not you know, affect the, the mental state as well? You're trying to say that if the mind and the body are, if the mind and the brain are distinct, as the dualist says, why, if you impair someone's brain, does it look like yeah. you impair someone's mind yeah. as well? Um, to be honest with you, that's a pretty good argument. But just consider there could be one response. Just because the brain and the mind are distinct doesn't mean that they don't enjoy a close relationship. So you can imagine uh, the brain as some sort of computer and the mind as the chap sitting behind the desk. Right. So if you came in and took a baseball bat to someone's computer, when he then logged on and tried to do things, obviously his performance would be impaired because you damaged his hardware. So you could say that, this isn't something I would say, but the duelist could say in response that, fair enough, yes, when you damage someone's brain, you damage someone's mind. That's because they enjoy a sort of causal relationship. But it doesn't mean to say just because damaging someone's brain damages someone's mind that they must be the same thing. I've got a little bit of a problem with that, Ed. Mm. Um, I thought you would do. <laughs> in that example, yeah. surely both the computer and the person are physical. And what dualism is saying is that the link between mind and brain is not a material thing. Um, you're sort of touching on a very the argument against dualism. I'm not sure the dualist would say that the link between the mind and brain is non-physical. I'm not sure if they'd say it is physical. Mm. I think the problem is there is no way that we can make sense of an idea of a mind being immaterial and a body being material, and yet there is a link between them. Now, Descartes actually did... This This was raised to Descartes at the time, and, and like I said, he wasn't too hot on his science. Nobody was. <laughs> um, so he had a little look at the brain, and he saw... The pineal gland, which was somewhere in between the two hemispheres, which he reasoned, oh, well, this, this must be where the brain and the mind connect, interact. Uh, and um, I was doing some reading about Phineas Gage, um, and I saw that some modern scholars think that the frontal lobe, i.e. the bit that was damaged yeah. in Phineas Gage, is, is where the mind and the body interact. And that's why when he got the massive rod shoved up there, he was a little bit faulty, if you will. But the question is not where they interact, it's how they interact. It seems that you yeah. can't find a possible location for it because the mind and the body, if they are really distinct, separate things, there's no way they can possibly, physical or non-physical, there can be no link between them. Um, and this feeds rather nicely onto, as I said, the argument against dualism, which I'll turn to now. So as we just hinted, um, we typically take our mental states to cause physical effects and vice versa. So if I'm thirsty, I may get up and go to the fridge and take out a can of naughty juice. <laughs> now, my thirst is a mental event. It's a desire. And it brings about a physical effects, me getting up and going to the fridge. Likewise, if I end up being really thirsty and drinking lots of naughty juice, I may get drunk. 
in this case, my mind's maybe somewhat inhibited by physical effects, namely those physical effects brought about by my ingestion of too much alcohol. So the problem is, how can the mind and the body enjoy this sort of interactive relationship if they're totally different substances? So for one thing, there's the closure principle of physics, which is that only physical causes can bring about physical effects. So physical objects cause things by bumping into each other. How could something non-physical bump into anything? And how could anything bump into something non-physical? But there's a deeper problem here. On a dualist account of human behavior, it looks as if there are too many causes. So to return to the fridge example, if we wanted to answer the question, why did I open the fridge? It seems that we could do it in exclusively physical terms. Um, excuse the shocking science here, but we could draw a causal map back from the muscles contracting in my arm to electrical stimulations in my brain, etc., etc. And then added to this, there's the assumption that my feeling thirsty caused me to open the fridge. So essentially what the dualist is saying is that there is a mental cause for my opening the fridge and there is a physical cause for my opening the fridge. At least on first glance, it seems that these causes can't be independent from each other. So it doesn't make sense to me to say that I would have opened the fridge even if I hadn't been thirsty um, because my brain would have made me or, or vice versa. So what, why are there two causes here? What is the mental cause doing in my explanation of why I opened the fridge that the physical cause is not? Yeah, I agree. Wouldn't it just be simpler to have one explanation either or rather than try and combine the two? Yeah, um, I think that's true. I mean, it, it looks... It looks as though if Descartes was right and the mind and body are distinct, then the mind can't have a causal relationship with the body. Or at least it, it's not going to be a causal relationship of the kind that we can observe in physics. But if it's not a causal relationship of the kind we can observe in physics, then what kind of causal relationship could it be? It, it seems it must be something mysterious, something alien. Not existing, some magic voodoo. Exactly. And, and as you just said... Why not just dispense with the mystery and say that the mind just is the body, more specifically the brain, yeah. and that mental events just are physical brain states, and thus we arrive at materialism or physicalism. So materialism is a broad uh, metaphysical position that the only thing that exists in nature is matter and the forces that act on matter. So specifically for our purposes, the materialist claim in the philosophy of mind is that human beings are part of this natural order, that they therefore must be composed exclusively of matter and that the mind is material or physical, i.e. it's the same thing as the brain. So on a materialist conception of mind, mental states like my thirst are just the same as my brain states, like the neurons that fired in my brain to make me open the fridge and get a drink. Yeah. Um, it's quite a big deal to say that the mind and brain are the same thing. And so there are various different materialist theories, all of which seek to deal with the repercussions of, of that move in their own way. But as I mentioned at the start of the show, we don't really have time to deal with the minutia of the debate. So let's just consider the materialist position in its most general terms. So I'm assuming you're, you're happy, Rob, because we've now gone in full circle. We're back to what you said at the start of the show, your, your, your gut feeling about the mind and brain. Yeah, I'm absolutely ecstatic because, like you said, it's what I explained earlier, that how I feel about, you know, particles influencing everything mm. that we are. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm happy for you. I really am. Um, I've just got a few issues I'd like to raise. Bring it on. Permissible. Um, so, okay, materialism, unlike dualism, as we've seen, is pretty pally with modern science. And it can explain the causal relationship between the mind and the body because the mind just is part of the body. Mm. Much like East Anglia is part of England. 
or England's part of Great Britain or Great Britain's part of United Kingdom, etc. But for all of materialism's scientific prowess, I feel there's a, there's a sense that we can't avoid dualism. Dualism might seem a little wacky to the scientific-minded gentleman, but I'll ask you to hang fire, Rob, for the moment, if that's all right. I'd like to hear what you've got to say. Well, I think that dualism's still very much part of today's cultural thought, the scientific community aside, even though Descartes first introduced this distinction between mind and body in the 1600s. So, for example, nine pop songs out of ten will involve some sort of I'm with you heart and mind or body and soul, that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, and dualism's in keeping with the religious idea of an everlasting soul. Uh, on a dualist conception, it's a material body that dies and decays. Can I just ask a question really quickly? When, yeah. when dualists talk about a separate mind, is mm. it similar to the soul? Are they one and the same thing or...? Um, or are they separate? Do you have a body, mind, and soul, like the holy trifecta? <laughs> I think if you had a body, mind, and soul, it's difficult to see what on earth the soul would be that isn't the yeah. mind. Uh, surely the soul would probably just be feelings, and you can kind of argue that the mind encompasses that as well. So I think that, that that's the point. I think if we have a soul, then it is the mind. A separate I think, mind. I th- yeah, I think they're the same thing. That's, they've been called different things over the years, but I don't think many people would say they had a mind a body and a soul. I think two's two's quite enough. Three's a little bit greedy. Um, <laughs> three's a crowd. Exactly. But um, it was actually the distinction that Descartes drew between his mind and his body that allowed him to remain faithful to his Christian roots because you mm-hmm. can have a body decaying and dying and that's perfectly compatible with the idea of a sort of immaterial, everlasting mind. So yeah, let's, let's yeah, say... Yeah, it helps in other religions as well, like Hinduism, if you can separate the body and then obviously reincarnation requires some part of yourself yeah. to be transported into a new Here vessel. Here we go, there's the mind. There, there you are. Ready and waiting. So, dualism, very in keeping of religions, and it's part of our cultural thought. And I think that when we talk about ourselves, we actually can't in- avoid employing a sort of dualistic distinction between our minds and bodies. So, when we describe human behavior we typically use non-physical non-material terms which philosophers call intentional language so the idea is that we describe human action as being purposive as having a goal and we do this by positing a mind as distinct from a brain with mental states as causes for actions so for example if i go to get a drink we'd say it's because i'm thirsty not because there are neurons firing in my brain So it looks as though the physicalist needs to account for why, if the mind just is the brain, we typically posit the existence of a separate mind to explain human behaviour. Now this may not be a problem. We might not think that an explanation of something's behaviour should shed any light on the sort of thing it is. But I think that our dualistic descriptions of our behaviour reveals a deeper issue, which is that it just doesn't seem plausible to think that the brain can be the same thing as the mind, or that mental phenomena can be the same as physical phenomena, because the two seem to have very different properties. So you're saying that we describe human behaviour in terms of a separate brain and mind, and that the physicalist has to account for this? Um, I'm saying that the fact that we describe human behaviour in dualistic terms might reveal a deep issue in the physicalist account, which is that it seems that mental things and physical things are very different but having said that some dualists would argue that because we describe people dualistically that must mean that they have separate brains and minds that's just really annoying though isn't it because 
I could say producer James is an absolute idiot, but I don't mean that. I like the guy. Yeah. And like your example of people going to the fridge saying, mm. oh, you know, you don't, oh, he's using his neurons to go and walk over there. It's like everyone knows that that is the case, but you just describe it as he's thirsty. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I think that that's definitely true. And it's that's really why... frustrating to like bring it down to the nitty gritty language. It's like, well, you know, you said this. So. Well, that's why I didn't want to. Uh, deal you, with you've it. hit. You've struck a nerve. I can there. see that. I mean, I, I think your point is you struck the behavioural nerve. It is <laughs> Why on earth would sh- would we should we presume that an explanation of a thing's behaviour has anything to do with the nature of the thing itself? So, mm. for example, if I had a calculator and I typed in twelve times one, and it flashed up twelve, the reason why it did that would not be physical although the calculator is a physical thing sure the reason why my calculator faithfully produces correct answers to mathematical sums would be physical but the reason why it came up with 12 would be mathematical so here we have a calculator a physical thing but if we were to analyze its behavior why did it type in 12 when we type 12 uh, why did it flash up 12 when we type 12 times 1 it would be a mathematical explanation let's leave the linguistical issue there please do because i will get extremely leery that's fair enough um but like i say i still think that the linguistical issue does reveal a deep issue which is that it seems that mental phenomena can't be the same as physical phenomena because they, they look like they have very different properties so i mean you could ask anybody even every day every man pete on the street would would be able to tell you that physical phenomena occupy space they can be divided they can be cut up into smaller things but thoughts and feelings they can't be cut up well, it doesn't look like they can. So the physicalist is right. Somehow the brain must be the mind. It follows that a full explanation of the brain will include all there is to know about the mind. I mean, that's got to be the dream of neuroscience. Mm. The problem is that brains are made up of molecules that do not have mental properties. And it looks like the mind does. So the worry is that no matter how intense you make your physical study of the brain, you would come no closer to under- understanding the inner workings of the mind. And this shouldn't be tolerable on the materialist conception. Um, and I, I think this, the difficulty of the difference between mental and physical phenomena is most pronounced when we consider the beautiful complexity of consciousness. What is, do you have any thoughts about consciousness? Such a weighty topic to just come out of the blue and hit me with. And thank God you gave me a little, you know, you slipped me an email saying, well, you know, <laughs> what does consciousness mean to you, Rob? <laughs> I've got to give you something, haven't <laughs> yeah. I? And as always... You know, someone on the internet has put it more eloquently than I ever could. Very nice. And um, I agree with the the statement that consciousness is a person's individual awareness of memories, feelings, thoughts, sensations, and their environment. Okay, I think that's that's fair enough. It's fairly good. Um, but that, that that doesn't really answer the question which you've asked me, does it? I mean, that's kind of defining consciousness, but it's not what is consciousness. I wasn't expecting you to go any further, to be honest with you. I think. Science can't even tell us what an electron is, to be fair. So why should we expect that it can do anything with consciousness? That's a good that's a good point. But, you know, as scientists, we need to strive to understand everything. Of course so we do. So why should we, you know, put consciousness on this pedestal, which we think we can never understand? I'm not saying we can't ever understand it. I'm saying right now, me putting it, that question to you is quite harsh because... It's a low blow. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sorry about that. Um, I'll take it as ever. But, of course, where, where science fails, the philosophers come through. Ever the punch bag. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so, consciousness, for me, is the uh, aboutness of an experience, if you will. Okay. So, 
Explain. There's a way we feel when we experience or think about something, and that is consciousness. So, according to the physicalist, various phenomena of consciousness are all physical effects of the brain's activity. So, as I said before, a complete understanding of the biological mechanisms of the brain would result in a complete understanding of consciousness. But I'm not sure how you feel about that, but I, I feel that it doesn't seem to be plausible. It feels to me that there's something about conscious experience that just can't be reduced to physical things. But what is consciousness, though? I mean, we're sitting here right now, and surely all that is is just a, a combination of sensory inputs. So your vision, you know, your senses, sight, smell, sounds. We're sitting here right now may, may be a physical fact, but the way it feels to us sitting here right now may be something else. So consider isn't, my... Isn't that just the brain's response to these senses, though? memories from the past of what you've experienced before you know produce these feelings now so you're saying that consciousness is just what it's like for beings with brains like ours to exist i wouldn't say that because mm, so difficult it's a tricky one it's a tricky one let's let's go for a specific example i mean i i don't know what on earth consciousness is i don't think any serious scientist would Mm. would claim to have definition the answer. <laughs> and i think that's part of the problem as we as we uh you know discovered in episode two science, <laughs> yeah. science knows nothing science struggles with the basic will the sun rise tomorrow <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah, I, i'd like to hear this example well maybe we can build on it we'll make it specific yeah um so consider my thought that milk is white mm-hmm. there's no way to capture the experience of my thinking milk is white by looking at what's going on in my brain So no matter how much you cut up my brain, you won't find the thought anywhere. You won't be able to locate it. And for me, this implies that no matter how impressive we make our scientific understanding of the brain, we will still be no closer to unravelling the puzzle of consciousness, which leads, very unfortunately, given all we've discussed thus far, to the conclusion that, could it be after all, the only way to understand consciousness is by positing the existence of a mind. What can men do against such reckless hate, Rob? (laughs) What say you? Do you have a response to this challenge? What's really, really frustrating is that you can see, Ed, that mm. I'm an ardent physicalist. And I would mm. love for the fact that science to reveal the mysteries of consciousness. Mm. But I just feel that it's asking too much of science. And Today? Yeah, today. Maybe in the future. Yeah. Anything's possible. Yeah. But in the foreseeable future, I feel that, like, yeah, as I said, it's just too much. So I think we're probably in agreement that it's very irritating because the materialist position does seem to be logically the only one we can accept. That's the thing. I I think personally dualism for me is ridiculous and okay. I I think that's not the one to look at. Right. The problem is that nor is materialism. We just need to find there doesn't seem to be a response. Way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, well like I might be able to give you give me some hope. <laughs> well, I might be able to resist the force of... Look into of, my eyes, of, I'm a mess. <laughs> I might be able to resist the force of the argument. Um, what worries me is this has happened before. I've, I've, I've stripped away what you believed and then you've looked at me with, with, with the child's eyes to try and bring some sort of meaning to your life again. And I, and I worry that I failed and I worry that this might happen again. But I, I'm going to try at any rate. So, remember, we were considering my thought that milk was white. Yeah. And the issue confronting the materialist was, well, wherever you looked in my brain, however much you cut my brain up, etc., you wouldn't find the thought anywhere. And that's because thought and consciousness and things like that aren't extended things. They're immaterial things, whereas the brain 
you know, exists in a little space inside my head. Yeah. So little, little being the yeah, the <laughs> word, yes. word. Um. So I resent that actually, Rob. But I'm going to continue. Um, <laughs> so okay. In answer to this question, you might say that you could not capture the experience of my thinking milk is white by looking at what was going on in my brain because you would not be thinking milk is white. You would be looking at my brain. So when you ask me, when, when, when the dualist asks, why don't I have your experiences when I'm looking at your brain, if brains are minds, you might respond, because you aren't having my experiences, you're looking at my brain. The suggestion is that in order for you to have my experience, in order for you to have my thought that milk is white, you must have my brain doing the things that it is doing. Evidently, you can't do this. But your inability to experience my experiences by looking at my brain does not give us a reason to assert that therefore there must be minds as well as brains. Um, I think this response does still leave the issue of consciousness and, and the apparent difference between mental and physical phenomena very much unresolved. Um, it just doesn't seem that the diversity of our mental life can be accounted for purely in physical terms. For example, I know we've got a lot of romantic listeners out there, so... <laughs> Um, this one Stop goes, sending me all those emails, please. Yes, exactly. This one actually goes out to Michael Rivett, who is probably our number one fan. <laughs> um, now, he's a romantic soul. He is. And I think he may be worried uh, because it doesn't seem right to strip down an emotion as complicated as love to a neurological activity in the brain. We want yeah, to say it's, it, it's not pleasant to think no. of it as a, you know, a soup of chemicals just flowing around your body. You want to think of it as something you know, outer body, you know, you know, star-crossed lovers, Exactly, exactly. I think you probably just described the very way he thinks about himself. So apologies, Mikey. Again, we've rocked your world. <laughs> um, but seriously, I, th I think that people are attracted to dualism or to the idea that they have a mind as distinct from their brain because they don't like to see their desires and, and their other reasons for acting as being the result of their bodies balancing things out, so to speak. So, you, you know, it's, it's comforting to think that in addition to the things going on inside your brain, you have a mind which is capable of causally influencing the biological body. Um, so we arrive at a bit of a dilemma, as ever. Um, it, tears, it tears me to think of it that way, Ed. Yes. Well, on the one hand, dualism seems to be too mysterious a theory to be accepted in the light of modern science. But on the other hand, physicalism does not seem to be able to adequately account for mental experiences. So what on earth do we do? Um, as ever in our discussions, there's no resolution really at the moment. But I, th I think if dualism could take on board some way to distinguish a link between the physical body and this ethereal mind, if there mm. was some proof to how they were linked, right? Then I'd be much more, you know, persuaded to go for that. But fine, fine, at, fine. at the moment, it just seems like a load of witchcraft and hoodoo. It, exactly that connects the two. So well, therefore, I, I, I find was... myself leaning towards the materialistic view. Well, I think that that is why, that is precisely why I'm not that concerned at the moment. Because I think that although we have raised issues with materialism, it's important to notice that there's no reason at all to suppose that these issues must be arguments in favour of dualism. In yeah. fact, as far as I'm concerned... There are no arguments in favour of dualism. You have the facts of modern <laughs> science on the one hand, you have dualism on the right. It's a choice that yeah, we all have to make, and I know which one I'd go with. Yeah, uh, same. Yeah, exactly. So given that, given that we don't want to give up our belief in modern science, the charges we've levelled against materialism 
should not lead us back into the dualist arms or, or into a state of utter confusion where neither dualism nor materialism seems to be an attractive option. Rather, in the light of these charges, we should be encouraged to examine and improve our materialist theories. So it's that time of the day again that I arrive at my final thought. Excellent. Which is that the mind and the body debate is no longer about dualism versus materialism, as we may have initially suspected, but rather it's about which materialist theory to hold. So I hope to have shown in today's discussion that it's not about whether or not the mind and body are distinct, because clearly they're not. It's about how best to account for phenomena like consciousness in physical terms. In other words, we know what we have to do. It is now just a question of doing it. Ed, another mind-blowing episode. Well done. What can I say? That's what I do, Rob. Well, even more mind-blowing should be episode four, which is going to be out next week, nonetheless. <laughs> There's a lot of pressure on that. <laughs> Better go well. Episode four is going to be concerning what we know about the external world. So look forward to that one. But Ed has got something to tell us. I have, Rob, even more exciting than episode four, which I know everyone's looking forward to. How is that uh, even possible? Well, I know. That's what I thought. Indeed, that is what I thought when my crazed, diseased mind thought up this scheme. But here we go. For the first time, we're going to be allowing a lucky listener to rub shoulders with the intellectual giants residing here at the first podcast studios. Um, basically, episode five is the last episode in the first series of The Thirst. So we thought it might be quite fun to um, allow a listener to pick the topic. So all you have to do is email us at thethirstpodcast at gmail.com with the topic you'd like us to discuss. The only rule being that it has to be um, to do with epistemology and metaphysics. And the deal is that Ed is going to scour through the, the hundreds and hundreds of emails that we're going to be getting mm -hmm. and he's going to be choosing... Uh, something that he thinks is going to be the most interesting to talk about. And as an added treat, that's right, it gets even more exciting, uh, the lucky winner will be allowed to appear on episode 5 of the Thirst alongside myself and Rob. And we were even happy to front the cost of travel so long as you live within megabus distance. But um, remember, when you're writing in on your email, make sure it says series one competition mm -hmm. in that subject bar so we can pick you out. I can't be I can't be trawling through the millions of emails that <laughs> exactly. I get to my personal email address, Rob, let alone the <laughs> first podcast email. Um, so, yeah, make sure it's about epistemology and metaphysics. Uh, if you don't know what those terms mean, as, as Rob didn't, um, <laughs> please do visit the website where it's explained at www.thethirstpodcast.com. And um, as always... Any comments, feelings, or thoughts, we'd love to hear from you. So get in touch with us via Facebook or Twitter. Uh, our hashtag is going to be Thirst Podcast. Or you can use our brand new one, which is hashtag Ed and Rob, which we check regularly. So. Go viral. <laughs> uh, also iTunes, Rob, you can't forget that. Uh, always forgetting iTunes. But yeah, on iTunes, give us five stars, subscribe, and download. Stay thirsty, everyone. I always do. So are you saying that a physicalist needs two minds, to ex one to explain, two brains? Two brains? No. <laughs> what am I saying? <laughs> so what say you, Rob? Do you have a response to that challenge, that problem? I don't think it's a problem at all, to be honest. I personally believe that... Are you f***ing <laughs> <laughs>